bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's December 4th, and I'm Paul Dragu. Iran-backed groups are becoming more belligerent. They are now attacking shipping vessels and U.S. water infrastructure. Also, the feds want to install vehicle software to control how fast you can drive. And an appeals court just ruled that Capitol Police officers and members of Congress can sue former President Donald Trump for actions related to January 6th. We have those stories coming up. Plus, a conversation with John Burr Society Research Manager Christian Gomez about the growing number of legislators who realize that we need to get the U.S. out of the United Nations. But first, on Wednesday, Elon Musk cussed out former and potential advertisers. This happened during an interview with CNBC host Andrew Sorkin at the New York Times Dealbook Summit. Now, in case you haven't been keeping up with the latest Musk drama, this episode began November 15th after the electric vehicle tycoon turned social media platform owner agreed with a tweet that media overlords immediately labeled anti-Semitic. It started when an ex-user tweeted, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. Musk then responded to the tweet and he said, you have said the actual truth. He then added another tweet to elaborate, quote, the ADL, referring to the Anti-Defamation League, unjustly attacks the majority of the West, despite the majority of the West supporting the Jewish people and Israel. This is because they cannot, by their own tenets, criticize the minority groups who are their primary threat. It is not right and needs to stop. End quote. Now, this exchange caused more than 100 companies to boycott X, including some of the largest corporations on the planet, like Disney, Apple, and Warner Brothers. Reports say X has bled millions of dollars as a result. Musk has since called the tweet one of the dumbest he's ever made. Nevertheless, on Wednesday, he decided to say what he was really thinking. When he was asked about how he was going to deal with this advertiser problem, here's what he said. Uh, don't advertise. You don't want them to advertise? No. What do you mean? If somebody's gonna to try to blackmail me with advertising, blackmail me with money, Go f yourself. But go f yourself. <laughs> is that clear? I hope it is. Hey, Bob, if you're in the audience. Musk was referring to Disney CEO Bob Iger, who, by the way, may have been in the audience. Now, Sorkin, the interviewer, was obviously speechless for a few seconds, but he got it together and he pried out of Musk what may happen if the boycott ultimately succeeds. Actually, what, what this advertising boycott is, uh, is, is gonna do, it's, it's gonna kill the company. And do you think that the company? And the whole world will know that those advertisers killed the company, and we will document it in great detail. Joining me to discuss today's stories is the publisher of the New American Magazine, Dennis Barron. Hi, Dennis Barron. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. It's so hard to get you on. We worked <laughs> so hard to do that, so I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Glad to be here. Now, whatever the suspicions of Musk, and we know there are many, uh, there are many unknowns and whatnot, especially in the right uh, wing sphere, so-called, we, we could see that 
Twitter is or X is in fact a it's it's where it, it allows the most freedom as far as ideas and views that have been labeled unapproved by the media gatekeepers by government whatnot. So um, what is what do you make of what's happening there? And is could the end of X be as tragic for free speech as I think it could be? Paul, we're in a war, uh, an undeclared war, a cultural war. Uh, a war over the traditions of American independence uh, that most Americans still revere, which is, you know, in, in, in our Bill of Rights, the First Amendment being the rights to freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of religion. One side, the side that is on that side, has with it all of American tradition, all of American law, all of American previous jurisprudence on this point. The other side has political power, but it doesn't have cogent arguments, and it can't win on that basis. Mm. It cannot win the intellectual debate. But it has all the political power. And so what is it doing? It's engaging in a long-running, now for several years, campaign of the most exorbitant censorship we've seen in the free world ever. And we're, we're, we're looking at something that approaches in scale what the Soviet Union used to do or what East Germany used to do or what Nazi Germany used to do. We're having that here in the United States. And that's ongoing right now. And the locus of attention currently is Twitter, or now X as it's called, and Elon Musk. Elon Musk has independent wealth, and they can't shut him down by threatening him, as you just saw. But they're going to try to shut down Twitter because, or X, because it is the platform that journalists use, most primarily, that most Americans use most primarily, and that otherwise verboten topics in the mainstream can still be discussed, whether that be election security, uh, whether that be things Vaccine happening lies. with vaccines. That's the primary platform on which most Americans can still express their opinions on that point. And the powers that be who are losing the argument because they can't, they can't make a winning argument on the basis of American right. tradition, they want to shut that down because it's a threat to their power base. They want to shut that off. Here's where the war gets really scary. Because Twitter is the primary venue for that. You kill off Twitter, all that's left are the smaller players like us. And we're going to be next in the crosshairs. And our, our mm. friends and our friends and fellows who are also on the free speech side of this divide are going to also be in the crosshairs. So defending Twitter, what Musk is doing, love him or hate him, trust him or not, he's playing a really important role. X is playing a really important role. And we have to recognize that the powers that be, losing the argument against American law and tradition, are trying to shut down our First Amendment rights. And that's a scary proposition. We have to oppose it. What about the content of, of what he said? This there, There's a lot of debate about this. And I don't know. We don't have that much time, I guess, to go into it. But of, what do you make of what Elon said and this idea, this 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 conversation that is happening now, kind of like, hey, uh, ADL or whoever, where were you when there was all this anti-white uh, activity and curricula going on in colleges and whatnot? What, what do you make of that? Well... Many of them are beholden to large financial interests that are tied up to uh, regime-adjacent uh, finance houses, which have an extreme large amount of money and influence as a result throughout American industry. And so the, the, the temptation is to always follow through on what will keep those people happy and keep the money flowing. And it's then easy to target the others, uh, mm -hmm. which is exactly what's been happening. So there's been no attempt to made by many of these people and many of these organizations to take a principled stand. Instead, it's more of, you know, what can I do today that makes my next step easier for me? And, and I think I watched, the, I watched that entire interview uh, with Musk. And one thing he said, which I think really cuts the point of this is, you know, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said, I'm really sick of people who 
pretend to do good but are really doing evil. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what we're seeing here. Pretending yeah. to do good, feel good about pretending to do good, but you're really doing evil. And haven't we just seen that writ large with regard to this whole vaccine COVID lockdown business? All those people, they t- you know, Fauci on down, they talked about how, oh, we're going to save so many people. We have to do this for your own good. You yeah. can't leave your house. you got to stand six feet apart. You don't need to see your relative who's suffering in a hospital and dying. You don't need to do that. It's for, and we're we're doing really good. We feel good about this. And in fact, that's great evil. That's yeah. tremendous evil. It's at the very very least, it's a great restriction on the individual liberties of the of everyday Americans. And that, that's the kind of ideas that are flowing on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. You, you know, reports and 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 uh, again, unapproved narratives that are flowing on on Twitter, and people are engaging, and they're realizing it's like, oh, vaccines perhaps aren't as as yeah. safe as I was told by whatever my university, by my work. Oh, maybe election security is, or elections aren't as secure. I see it on a mm-hmm. daily basis there. One example, I just saw a report released earlier this year by an Australian longtime uh, airline pilot uh, on the debilitating impact of the mandatory vaccines on airline pilots. You aren't going to hear about that if censorship Mm -hmm. regimes are put in place that do what they want to do, which is shut all of this down. You won't get access to that kind of information. Uh, So you need the New American Magazine. You need Twitter X. You need a number of other outlets. You need people willing to report these things so that the average American can make informed decisions. That's what this is essentially about. It's about the freedom of, of to, for ideas to flow freely. That's what it is. Thanks, Dennis. Well, folks, for more news and in-depth analysis from the New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. The New American Magazine has been telling the truth about the attacks on our nation from within and without since 1985. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture was heading than the New American. You get a subscription online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on the top and then subscribe on the drop down. If you prefer, you can call for a subscription. 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. Coming up, the government says Iran-backed groups are trying to disrupt infrastructure systems on the homeland. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people. And I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back, folks. So on Sunday... A U.S. destroyer in the Red Sea shot down multiple drones as three commercial vessels were attacked by Iran-backed groups out of Yemen. In a statement, U.S. Central Command said the attacks represent a direct threat to international commerce and maritime security. It said the three commercial ships and their crews are connected to 14 countries. U.S. Central Command said they have every reason to believe that the attacks are fully enabled by Iran and that the U.S. will consider all 
appropriate responses. And on Friday, multiple U.S. federal agencies warned that Iran-backed hackers have been targeting U.S. water, energy, shipping, and distribution systems that use specific Israeli-made equipment. According to a press release from the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, the Iranian government Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps has been targeting U.S. facilities that use programmable logic controllers made by the Israeli firm Unitronics. Now, the government says the hackers who go by the name Cyber Avengers have attacked targets in multiple states and that they are likely to leave a defacement image that says, you have been hacked down with Israel. Every equipment made in Israel is Cyber Avengers legal target. Now, one known attack happened on November 25th against the Municipal Water Authority of Aliquippa in Pennsylvania, according to reporting from the Epoch Times. Fortunately, the municipality quickly took the system offline and no harm was caused. Now, the government urges local authorities to change passwords on the programmable logic controllers and to disconnect them from the public-facing Internet. I'm going to bring Dennis back in here. Dennis, is there a difference between the public-facing Internet and the Internet at large? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's uh, just word speak, but I think one of the most important parts of this story is what is the purpose of the press? We talked about freedom of the press a little bit under the First Amendment, but what is the purpose of the press? The purpose of the press is to question the government narrative. Is it accurate? Is it true? What's going on with the government narrative? And the government narrative here is Iran is behind these attacks, whether it be the cyber attack, whether it be the uh, Houthi attacks in the Red Sea or elsewhere. That's what the government says. Are you suspicious of these reports? I'm wondering. (laughs) This is the same government that said January 6th is a terrible insurrection. Um, And I think we can tell from the released files that we have access to we and all the wrangling. That, that's not there the maybe is more to the story than the official line on that. And I think we don't know what the real story is yet for all of these things. As regards to cybersecurity, that's very hard to track. Who knows who did that? Could have been. Could have been Iranian-backed. Yeah. Could have been Russian-backed. Could have been Ukrainian-backed. Could have been a bunch of independent actors. This is a shadowy world. It's not easy to track. Uh, I've done some cybersecurity work. I'm by no means an expert. There are people who've done a lot more than me. Mm. I've remediated websites that have been hacked and taken yeah. down. I've fixed them. Uh, so I've seen some of the stuff. I've had to track some of the threat actors that were involved in that. This is a shadowy world. It's difficult to track what's going on. So I, I wouldn't take these things at face value necessarily. Well, I'm glad. That, I think that's why I said that according to the U.S. government. Yeah. I mean, but thank you for bringing that up. All right. And for our next story, Donald Trump suffered another legal setback on Friday. The United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia ruled that Capitol Police officers and members of Congress can now sue the former president for actions related to January 6th. Now, Trump, for his part, has claimed executive immunity since he was president at the time. Regarding the decision, Chief Judge Sri Srinivasan said, according to the plaintiffs, President Trump's actions, including ultimately his speech on January 6th, sparked the ensuing riot at the Capitol. The district court largely rejected his claim of immunity and President Trump now appeals. The sole issue before us is whether President Trump has demonstrated entitlement to official act immunity for his actions leading up to and on January 6th. He said, we answer no, at least at this state of the proceedings. Now, the Supreme Court established executive immunity back in the Nixon era to protect the president from frivolous, politically motivated lawsuits and other forms of lawfare. In other words... It was established to prevent exactly the sort of thing that's happening to Trump now. The goal now, of course, is to keep him from getting back into the White House. And so the court is trying to overturn this legal precedent based on very shaky reasoning. 
Here's more reasoning from the chief judge. Quote, the president, though, does not spend every minute of every day exercising official responsibilities. When he acts outside the functions of his office, he does not continue to enjoy immunity from damages liability just because he happens to be the president. In other words, courts will now have the last say on whether individuals can sue or legally harass sitting presidents. The judicial philosophy of this judge is reliably leftist. He was among the finalists considered by Barack Obama to replace Antonin Scalia, but ultimately lost the failed nominee Merrick Garland. Trump is expected to appeal. All right, Dennis. So uh, am I missing something or was Trump during that day at these uh, rallies? He was in his official capacity as president, right? He was. So what do you make of this? What I make of this is it looks like another example of Soviet practice coming uh, to the United States if they can arrange it. And the Soviet practice that I have in mind in particular is the uh, idea in the Soviet Union that you need to station a political officer alongside any uh, otherwise seemingly independent bureaucrat or military officer of high rank in order to make sure that uh, those officers or otherwise ele- uh, you know, semi-elected officials or appointed officials hewed the party line accordingly. And so that was known as a Zampolit. So it looks like what the court is saying is, well, we need to have, if we're going to have a, maybe a Republican president, we need to put a Zampolit alongside that president to make sure uh, we're keeping an eye on that president at all times and uh, that they don't stray away from what the party has deemed acceptable. And this is a dramatic direct effect on the separation of powers, simply, simply put. Now, the, the founding fathers did foresee this. Uh, they, they wanted there to be a bit of jealousy between the branches uh, that would uh, be there in order to prevent uh, the accretion of power beyond uh, what is necessary and appropriate for any individual branch so that the branches would be themselves uh, willing and able to resist the urges of other branches to take over their powers. Now, we've seen the executive branch try to take over the legislative power quite frequently with regard to executive uh, orders over many years. We're now seeing the court the court branch try to take over some of the executive authority. So in, in a sense, this is in keeping with American tradition that the founding fathers foresaw. Nonetheless, disturbing disturbing trend. And, uh, you know, it needs to be, you know, something that we keep a, keep an eye on and needs to be stopped. Well, I mean, wasn't the judicial branch supposed to be the weakest, but it seems like over and over it gets the last say and it almost seems like it has legislative powers at times. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're looking at the we're looking at that happening. And it's not just here in the U.S. We've seen this happen in Brazil, for instance, mm. where the uh, the courts in Brazil have played a dramatically direct role in manipulating the election results, recent election results in Brazil and brought Lula back to power. So this is an international trend and it's coming here to the U.S. Well, isn't that what happened here? Because the, the, especially, I, I believe in Pennsylvania, there were several lawsuits where, and the courts allowed a lot of those changes that happened in 2020 that some would argue, and I think I would agree with, uh, enabled the widespread uh, fraud or suspected fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, even got down to the points of the courts nullifying things because of uh, not accepting cases because of lack of standing, yeah. uh, so-called, which are, you know, dubious at best in some of these cases where clearly there was standing. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you, what do you, I mean, it seems like no matter how erroneous a lot of these attacks, this lawfare against Trump seems to be, and it, there's always more waiting. It seems like the game plan is just keep pounding them in until one sticks, till they or they all stick, and this man ends up in jail. Yeah, because they can't have him get on the ballot because he's un, he's unbeatable in a, in a fair election at this point. I think everyone can see that that's happening. There's no way a Joe Biden is going to beat him. There's no way a Newsom's going to beat him. Newsom Newsom himself said that in the recent debate with DeSantis. We're not. I'm not going to be elected. You know that you know, paraphrased what he said. Yeah. So Trump, on a fair playing field, if he's the nominee which I'm sure he will be, 
there's no way he doesn't win. So we got to not. We, we just simply can't have a player, fair playing field. For, that's the other side's analysis. Yeah, yeah. I've asked Steve this as well too, and I don't remember what his answer is. But do you think if Trump is thrown in jail, can he still run and he can he still uh, uh, be president? <laughs> you don't know. I stopped. Theoretically, that perhaps. <laughs> theoretically, perhaps. But I, I would bet legally they would find a way to make sure that this couldn't happen. Yeah, or it just could be also another tactic to keep him from obviously campaigning. He hasn't oh, campaigned. Yeah. He's been in court the whole time. That's perfectly right. I mean, how is he supposed to campaign when he's fighting these, you know, massive numbers of legal legal yeah, affairs? Yeah. There's no way. But fortunately for him, it doesn't seem to be working as as far as that because his popularity continues growing. In some sense, the the lawfare is his campaign. <laughs> It is. It is. I think he made a joke. What was the joke? Something about like, if they indict me one more time, he's like, I'll win by 50 points or something. And that seems to be the case. I wish we had enough time to discuss the the mindset that Americans have to continue. You know, I guess they see him attacked and they're like, there must be something to this guy. Kind of like we mentioned with Musk. Thanks, Dennis. Well, up next, the feds are pushing for control over your driving all in the name of, you guessed it, safety. Home, food, protection, daily necessities for your family. There are many that want you to depend on them for these things. Don't fall for the trap. Stay self-reliant. Get a copy of our latest collector's edition, Self-Reliance. Learn about the necessity of self-reliance for our free people and basic tips on how to get there. Never give up hope. The National Transportation Safety Board wants to control how fast you can drive by adding speed limit software to cars. Using safety as an excuse to impose restrictions on the American people, the NTSB says the technology designed to prevent speeding will mitigate the death tolls on our nation's highways. Now, The Hill reports that last year, more than 12,000 people lost their lives in the U.S. due to crashes related to speeding and that hundreds of thousands more suffered injuries. The technology is known as Intelligent Speed Assistance, and it uses GPS and sign recognition to control your driving within specific zones. It's a dynamic application rather than a traditional speed governor that limits velocity to a set maximum. The NTSB is preparing a report detailing its proposal. The report is supposed to be released in a few weeks. Now, this will mark the agency's second recommendation for speed restriction technology within six years. However, there's an interesting twist to this story that mainstream media outlets like The Hill aren't mentioning. To bolster its argument, NTSB cites a recent tragic accident in Las Vegas that claimed nine lives. Here's Lauren Fix of Car Coach Reports to give us the part of the story that media are ignoring. The wreck that spurred this recommendation was particularly egregious, but little about it sounds surprising. As the NTSB reports, Do not note that the driver of the 2018 Dodge Challenger ran a red light at 103 miles an hour, hitting a Toyota Sienna with seven people inside. The light had been red for 29 seconds. All nine people died. However, what is not the case that it did not report and the news outlets did not report is that the driver was high on cocaine and PCP. He was a danger to himself and others. Fix also pointed out that it's not the proper role of the NTSB to create laws or mandates imposed on the American people. Well, you don't say, huh, Dennis? <laughs> right. Well, I think there's a darker agenda here, and that is the, uh, the government would, has wanted, in accordance with international bodies, to control the movement of people. And 
You know, we just saw that recently, uh, a week or two ago, Thomas Massey introduced an amendment that would have stopped the imposition of uh, uh, breathalyzer interlocks that would prevent your car from operating, mm. which is congressionally mandated now that will come into effect uh, 2025, I believe. Really? Uh, wait, wait, wait they're going to put breathalyzers on the cars? Or, well, it's or not, that's if you have DUI? It's not quite so... Uh, uh, it's, it's a little more sophisticated than that. Okay. If the car detects it, that you think you're impaired, according to the technology that the government is mandating, if the car detects that it believes you're impaired, which is going to be through not just breathalyzers necessarily, but through the cameras that are looking mm. at the driver. Like staggering? What if you're dancing and yeah. it mixes up for staggering? Your car won't start. Okay. Congress is mandating this. There and Thomas Massey's legislation, his amendment to get that out of the legislation, to get that out of the law, that failed. Uh, Republicans... Republicans did not support it enough to get a passage in the House. That's craziness. But the government wants to simply control and or stop your travel, period. And that's what this is about. It's not about safety at all. In fact, if we're about safety, we'd uh, have the government encouraging the ability for individual Americans to choose higher speeds when necessary and encouraging the go- encouraging car manufacturers to develop higher horsepower engines and sell them more cheaply. More horsepower, more speed, more capability gives tools to the smartest animal on the planet – humans, the greatest intelligence in the known universe, gives tools to those people who are driving and, and, and taking themselves about their daily business to be able to react to situations that they're in. There are times, I'm sure I'm not the only one. When do I you have need to, more horsepower, Dennis? I'd when, love to hear this. When I have to merge onto the freeway and I'm coming up the on-ramp and I've got a semi-truck in front of me fully loaded and it's coming up an on-ramp and it's topping out at 35 yeah. miles an hour into four lanes of traffic going 70, Yeah. I'm sorry, 55 miles an hour is not enough. And I need a heck of a lot more than the 400 horsepower I've got. Yeah. I mean, we need more power. We need more speed for situations where that's a tool that a driver can use to avoid a dangerous situation. It's like saying, my gosh, we shouldn't be able to brake so well. Let's, let's put everyone back to drum brakes because disc brakes, <laughs> we don't like them for some reason. Why take capability away? Give more capability. Do you think anyone believes this anymore? Um, I, I think last week or a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I uh, quoted... Uh, Albert Camus, who said, who's got that famous quote, the welfare of the people has always been the alibi of the tyrants. And over and over, it's, we always hear about, we heard it, of course, with the vaccine and corona, uh, the, the, the virus over and over. We heard how all these restrictions were about the welfare of the people. And it didn't take long. I believe by November or October of that year, the CDC had issued a report saying that substance abuse had skyrocketed, a suicide had skyrocketed, depression had skyrocketed, and obviously it was a result of the restrictions. So at this point, who in the world is going to believe anymore that they are actually genuinely interested of for our safety? No, they're not. But they, they, this is the, the effect that Elon Musk was pointing out again. You know, they pretend to do good and pat themselves on the back for doing good when they're really just doing evil. And uh, that evil comes down to, the, you just re- referenced it, the, dis, the disbarment of human agency from individuals. If you take away a person's agency, you take away one of the fundamental tenets of what it is to be a human person. You take away their dignity. You infantilize them. And what is more depressing than being infantilized by an external power that you can't control? Right. This leads to depression, anxiety, drug use. We see it continuously, particularly in our in our young males in in our school system. Yeah. We have young males who are frequently uh, having outbursts. They're having drug problems. They're being medicated in schools. Mm. Why? Because they're being infantilized. Yeah. What makes them human males is being told they're being told that they're they're evil. They're wrong just naturally, and so. You know they re, they react in a depressive state, and it's that's 
clearly the wrong move. It's harming a vast number of the population. And as the bureaucracy moves to do this on a wider scale uh, through things like this 55 proposal, it just infantilizes people to an even greater degree. It's not going to do anyone's mental yeah. state any good. Well, and let's not forget, and we, we bring this up repeatedly and for good reason, that freedom has an element of risk. That's always been the case. I mean, we wouldn't have, you know, discovered the rest of the world. We wouldn't have the innovation and the technology that exists now. I think it's fair to say, I don't obviously know all the details, but there's risk in that. And obviously we wouldn't have gone to, to space and we wouldn't keep trying to do. We need to be able to, to, to be risky and we need to be free to, to basically risk our lives. I, I know that may sound controversial, but we, are, we should be in charge of our lives. And I'm sure the others will say, well, yeah, but you're on the road. You can harm someone. I'm not advocating that you speed, but it's like you said, it's like maybe you need more horsepower sometime. You sometimes do, you know, and we've been trying to remove risk entirely from the equation, not just in our individual activities, but even in uh, the world of investment and research and technology, we've been trying to take risk away. And so we, we look, we look at the people who are willing to risk technology and say, well, you know, bad for them because they're putting investors' money at risk and they shouldn't be doing that. Elon, you shouldn't be doing this SpaceX business. You know, yeah. NASA's got this figured out. What do you need to do the space launch business yeah. for? It's 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 risky money. So why should you be doing this risk? But look, the risk has paid off because the innovation that Elon Musk has achieved, you know, through SpaceX and other things, he's now in SpaceX, just as an example, because of that risk, he's now orders of magnitude more advanced technologically than any other space launch capable nation on the planet. Yeah. Um, no one can compete with him. Institutionally, governments cannot compete with this guy in the private sector because he was willing to take that risk. Yeah. So so you agree then that that risk in general, it can translate to innovation and technology. And in general, I hate to use the word progress because it's been hijacked, but it's a real word that means something that... <laughs> yeah. That, Progress, progress, humanity, positive progress. Yep. You know, the, in the 1960s, the, the Detroit, Detroit auto industry had a saying, and it was race on Sunday, sell on Monday. They would take, uh, you know, race car drivers and the most ludicrous technology to the racetrack and flog it to its, the nth degree yeah. because they wanted to see what, it could, what could be done. I and mean, they'd take the innovation that came from that and build it into their next generation car. Yeah. That was, that was risk and reward right there. Should we take away that? I mean, maybe NASCAR is too risky. We shouldn't have NASCAR anymore. Well, you never know. That, that'll be next because then they're, they're going to have to quash the ideas that, that inspire us to take risk or to be risky or to, uh, to engage in activity that, you know, they cannot control. And that's obviously, like you said, this is what it comes out. It seems like it's on all fronts attacks to restrict our movement and our agency. Uh, any last words on this, Dennis? You know, it's it's kind of a zero-sum game. They want all the power. They don't want individuals to have the power. They don't want that dispersion of power. If they can bring that all in, then they have the one ring to rule them all. That's yeah. what their game plan is. And, and it's sad, like you like you mentioned, that the, even the Republicans cause, uh, are, are, are falling for this. And we have people like Thomas Massey. Hopefully, hopefully uh, Massey's ideas and, and view spreads and we can stop this from happening, I suppose. But is it up to us? I don't know how the NTSB works. Or is that another one of those regulatory agencies that pass laws as regulations and then we're stuck with them? It's like the, it's like the FDA for transport. Oh, boy. Thanks, Dennis. Up next, the Get Us Out of the UN campaign is gaining momentum with legislators. Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Biodigital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. 
she saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, Welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep, and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame, the new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's Issue of the New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, E-N-D-2-0. Last week, my colleague and executive senior editor of the New American Magazine, Steve Bonta, interviewed Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs. You can watch the entire interview at thenewamerican.com later this week. But for the sake of this segment, we're going to look at what the congressman specifically said about why the U.S. needs to get out of the United Nations. Watch. You are a sponsor of um, H.R. 79. Well, I actually think it is your bill to get the United States out of a particular organization, the World Health Organization. Uh, what, what, what is your motive for doing that? Well, first first of all, just on a, on a basic fundamental notion, um, having done work at multilateral institutions, uh, I don't believe those are constitutional. Uh, America was meant to enter into bilateral relationships. Um, and, and so leave the constitutional thing aside. Strategically, multilateral institutions um, also hurt the U.S. strategically in that uh, we have a tough time uh, holding uh, violators accountable. And, and the third thing is, and so that's why bilateral works, because then we can hold somebody who breaches accountable. Third thing, though, is when you moved into the World Health Organization, this is a corrupt organization controlled by uh, the Chinese Communist Party. Um, and and their, their director of the World Health Organization is absolutely controlled by uh, China. And the, with what they did in the COVID uh, era, demonstrated fully and and totally how corrupt the World Health Organization is. Uh, and so we should be out of the World Health Organization. I supported Donald Trump when he got us out of that. And I also recently introduced legislation just just saying, hey, look, we're an amendment. I just said, look, le- you, you want to keep it in the who because you don't want to pass my bill. OK, I'm willing now to let's just stop the voluntary payments of hundreds of millions of dollars every year that we give to the World Health Organization just voluntarily. That, th- those aren't even the assessments to the U.S. Let's stop that. And I couldn't even get the votes for that. Well, what, everything you just said about the WHO applies to the entire United Nations system writ large. Would you support withdrawal of the United States from the United Nations? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, I might have in, actually introduced one of those bills in the past to do that. Look, I, uh, one of my deals when I was uh, practicing law was I, I actually represented NGOs and multilateral institutions. 
And uh, I, and that, that was not because I supported those institutions, but because I didn't support those institutions. And I found them to be largely corrupt. And um, we should not be in the UN. There, you give up your sovereignty uh, uh, over to the United Nations, and the UN has, is not a friend to the US, has undermined us repeatedly, and it's a long past time that we should be out of the United Nations. Long past time. Join me to discuss today's action segment is the John Birch Society Research Manager, Christian Gomez. Hi, Christian Gomez. Nice to have you back Good on. to see you, Paul Dragoo. Welcome back to your vacation. <laughs> All right, smart addict. So um, it is a long past time. We have been talking about this. Is it 1962 or 1964? We being the John Birch Society. Yes, it's it's our longest standing action project here at the John Birch Society. Get in fact, Robert Welch talked about it in the initial uh, founding meeting in 1958, which is transcribed in the Blue Book. Yeah, yeah. He said uh, he specifically pointed to the United Nations and how they are the center, the hub of this global totalitarian government that they're trying to build. So it's nice to see that. Uh, what is it, 65 years later, uh, everyone's getting on board. I think two, three weeks ago, we reported about even Sean Hannity, of all people, was like, oh, we need to get out of the UN. And and I think there was uh, others too. Israel dogged uh, UN for other reasons and things like that. Is it possible? Do we have more momentum now? I mean, Andy Biggs, he's been, I don't know what term number of term he is, but he's a very constitutionally adherent uh, congressman. We have others. Uh, usually it's been just Ron Paul, right? Saying, hey, we need to get out it's he's no longer it's no longer just a, a one man saying this what do you make of these developments and what can people who are listening do to help this well I, like uh, like you're po- alluding to uh, essentially uh, it goes to show you that the john Birch society is being proven right again, again again as many i mean sean hannity is not someone that we would you know, typically agree with 100% of the yeah. time, maybe 20%, I don't know. <laughs> at best. <laughs> yeah, at best. But it's good to see even someone like him, who is someone of influence, yeah. uh, stating what yeah. should be obvious, what we know to be obvious here at the John Birch Society and the New American, that it's, it's past time to get out of the UN. And when voices like his, along with Congressman Andy Biggs and even Congressman Thomas Massey, who I interviewed uh, recently for the New American, are all saying the same thing, um, hopefully others in the conservative movement that aren't haven't quite joined the Birch train yeah. We'll hear what they're saying and will join us in our effort to get us out of the UN. Yeah, and I found it interesting that he mentioned the uh, COVID. Obviously, we saw through COVID, the COVID mania, uh, like he alluded to, uh, the corruption that came out of the WHO, the World Health Organization. He said something that I don't think you were necessarily allowed or was somewhat suppressed at the time, which was that it is CCP controlled. It is ultimately corrupt. And saying this, uh, I, I think, gives gives uh, more credence to it. So based on that alone, maybe they can use that as the catalyst if people aren't necessarily uh, sold on the fact that everything else the United Nations has been involved in is corrupt and with the sole goal of bringing about one world government. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the entire leadership of the UN, almost every department, every agency of the UN is run by communists, 
hardcore socialist or Islamist radicals. I mean, that's the people who run the UN. And I know Nikki Haley was interviewed by Sean Hannity recently, mm. and she was making some good points about why the UN is bad. But then when Nick, uh, sorry, but then when Sean Hannity pressed her on, so should we get out of the UN? Because he had called for that just recently. Yeah. Oh, she gives some sort of wishy-washy response, and then when he presses her, he says, she says, no, we shouldn't get out because we have the veto there as one of the five, uh, you know, permanent mm. members of the Security Council. Well, that's 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 a a really weak milk toast excuse, in my opinion. We can do better than that. We can get out. And if the U.S. was to leave the United Nations, what would be the trickling ramification of that? I imagine that other nations that share our values or closest to our values would start to follow. Perhaps Israel will be the next country to get out of the U.N. if the U.S. withdrew from it as well, because why would they be in it anymore? Yeah. Maybe even Argentina under President Millet would say, you know, it's time to chuck this as well. And mm. there could be a trickling effect of other nations just pulling out, seeing no value of being in the U.N., so if we get out of the U.N., we could be a trendsetter for yeah. national sovereignty on the global stage. And hopefully, uh, if Britain ever elects a good uh, Brexit-minded um, uh, prime minister in the future in parliament, they, they could do an even better Brexit by getting themselves out of the United Nations. Well, would you Do you think that there has been no better time for this to happen? I mean, aside from the fact that we have a subversive anti-American administration in the White House, could could we be coming up or say something miraculous happens in 2024 and the person who should win and will li- rightly win actually wins? Will that be probably the best opportunity we've had thus yet to get out of the U.N.? To get out of the U.N., we not only need Congress to pass a bill, which, by the way, there is currently not a American Sovereignty Restoration Act, which is the, the mm. bill to terminate U.N. membership in, in the um, – to terminate U.S. Mm. membership in the U.N., I mean – we need that bill introduced in Congress first. So hope, hopefully Congressman uh, Rogers of Alabama, Congressman Massey of Kentucky, and Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona, all three and many others can work together to get that reintroduced for this Congress. But we need a president to sign that bill into law. Yeah. Um, so this president, the is current that, one, is not going to sign that into law. If it passed the House and the Senate miraculously, yeah. he would just veto it. So we need a, a, a we need to have the right person in the Oval Office. What do to people sign need that. to do? How can they do? How can they pressure that bill to be introduced? Well, we have a legislative alert on JBS.org right now for the get us out of the UN. So you go to JBS.org, you take click action. The, you take action, click on the federal alerts. We have one for get us out of the UN. And that message is telling you are a member of the House and, and U.S. senators to um, reintroduce that bill and to get it passed. That's the first thing we have to do. Yes. Thank you. And again, that's you go to JBS.org, you go to the Take Action tab, and there you'll see federal legislative alerts. I love what you guys have done. I always uh, I always say this because it's, it's so crucial what your research team does. We have federal alerts and we have state alerts, but in this case, we are talking about get us out of the UN. All right, Christian Gomez, thank you so much. Keep up the good work. And you heard that again, folks. Uh, JBS.org, take action, get us out of the UN. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of the New American Daily. Remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. We will see you tomorrow.